Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Cheese Sticks in the 700 Level Podcast. My name is Dylan Count Crowley. He's Austin Mancini. Uh, and if you're watching this on YouTube after we recorded, well, thank you for checking us back out on YouTube. Uh, I know the format of our screen right now is very amateurish, uh, but we wanted to start getting these back out on YouTube. Get a face to the voices. Uh, and uh, yeah, it'll be improved on in the upcoming weeks and months. But for now, just a little bit of a basic setup here. Uh, but uh, if you're listening to us in our regular podcast form, welcome back and thank you for listening. As always, Austin, it has been a, I'd say, quiet past week in reality. In uh, reality, I mean, quiet both good and bad, uh, as we'll talk about with the Flyers. Um, but yeah, not, not really much to talk about today. A couple of key topics here that we will discuss for uh, 30 or so minutes. But uh, yeah, how have you been? I mean, I'm coming off of vacation uh, in Maine and New Hampshire. But outside that, I, I've been quite, you know, uh, quite a boring life. But how, how have you been? I mean, listen, Dylan, I realize today is a holiday for Flyers fans. Um, so I can't, I honestly, you know, it's funny. So today is national flyers, Shea Weber day. And for those who don't remember the flyers offer sheeted Shea Weber, um, a lot of money in a lot of years. And I don't yeah, think four, any, 14 years, a hundred million. Yeah. And I don't think a single person thought Nashville predators were going to match it. And they did. And I remember I was sitting on the yeah. beach when that happened. Like, I remember exactly uh, where I was. Uh, yeah, no, I absolutely. I, I remember exactly where I was myself. I was uh, at my grandmother's in the kitchen, and I had the TV on for some reason at the time. Uh, uh, it's NBC Sports Philadelphia and uh, – or NBC, oh, CSN Philadelphia. Comcast Sportsnet, yeah. And uh, I remember – seeing the breaking news that the Flyers had offered Shea Weber that uh, offer sheet. And I was like, holy crap, the the, the Flyers are going to get Shea Weber because there's no way Nashville is going to come out and match this offer sheet. And then, you know, a day or so later, Nashville matched that offer sheet. And that was a uh, just a kick to the stomach. I mean, uh, if the Flyers would have signed Shea Weber back in 2012, um, I, I do wonder what would have went differently. Uh, he would have been the replacement to Chris Pronger that they desperately yeah. needed after Pronger's injury. Yeah. And I, I don't know if they would have been good enough to get a cup, but I think uh, it could have been quite the difference maker in the long run. Uh, now, at the same time, I mean, you look at Shea Weber, he had a couple of good years, I think, at the beginning of that contract in Nashville, but he really has uh, – not lived up. I wouldn't say not lived up, but it he, he would have been a costly contract for uh-huh. the value he's provided over the last few years. And um, so, on one end, I think it would have been huge at the time, and it could have been very beneficial. But looking at it now, I mean, the, those back end of the contract, that back end of the contract would have been uh, really, really ugly. I mean. They would have been paying him for more years if they he signed that deal and was still in Philly. I mean, who knows? I mean, you you bring up a great point about the Chris Pronger thing because then the Flyers spent the last next like four years trying to find 
that guy to replace yeah. Chris Pronger, you know, like Pronger, you know. they, they spent, it went over and over and over and over again until they yeah. got to where they are now. Yeah. I know. And I'm quickly looking at Shea Weber's stats uh, since signing that contract. So he, he signed that contract, what, in 2012? Mm-hmm. Um, so what happened headed into the, yeah, 2012 to 13 season. Uh, yeah, the numbers uh, sure, sure, certainly have not been uh, where you would expect them. But at the same time, even bef- prior to that deal, Shea Weber's never been a you know top end offensive talent defensively. He'll give you 50, 60 points a game, which is very good, of course. But uh, sorry, 50, 60 points a season, um, which is very good, of course. But uh, he's always been uh, much more, I think defensive oriented than offensive oriented but it i think long run it probably worked out for the flyers but uh definitely could have been beneficial in the short term there yeah he does have that booming slapper that uh would have benefited them on power plays and yeah <clears throat> just in general I mean, you know another threat he was, but... he was arguably the best defenseman in the league when that offer sheet was uh Man, and he killed and he killed us uh in the Montreal series. You know, he's the one who made things interesting. Him and Brendan Gallagher were the two main components against us. So yeah, it's funny how the the tables turn. But uh yeah, Chuck Fletcher did a thing, Dylan, last week. He he uh got rid of Oscar Lindblom uh for cap relief. He signed Justin Braun back. Obviously, he traded for Tony D'Angelo, and then he made the most random acquisition. Well, I guess it's not random considering who the Flyers are in Nick Delorier. Any thoughts yeah, on I'm, the? Yeah, any thoughts on these three? Yeah, so I think the best way to go about the Flyers is let's kind of go in order of everything that kind of happened here. Yeah. Um, so let's start with Tony D'Angelo because uh, I think last week we talked about we talked about last episode we talked about Gunner got the uh, got there uh, being drafted uh, but Tony D'Angelo uh, stuff did not go down yet uh, so the Flyers coming in this offseason the words being thrown around were quote unquote aggressive rebuild right uh, and. The Tony D'Angelo move does fit the idea of an aggressive rebuild. I mean, it is such a hard trade to really look at because if you look at a purely hockey standpoint, three draft picks and what they gave up is still an overpay for Tony D'Angelo. The $5 million they're giving him could be an overpay as well. But on the surface, he is a quality defenseman he he is going to provide enough positives over the course of a season uh that i think he would be worth probably at least three or four of that five million uh, i'm not sure if he's worth the full five but of course there's way more here than just the hockey side of things this is a guy who's been considered a quote-unquote locker room cancer he's had some he has said some racist things in the past. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and 
act like I fully remember all the reports about what was out there, but it, it's pretty known that he is a guy who's hard to get along with at times. And he's not a, he has not said some very good things in the past. He said some very horrific things in the past yeah. that, uh, uh, definitely, I mean, would make you question if you want him in the locker room. The Flyers, however, saw D'Angelo as a guy that could help improve their blue line and went out and traded three draft picks. And I forget exactly what those draft picks are, if you want to quickly look that up. Um, I know it was a second. Yeah. At least a third and maybe a fourth. And then a fifth? Yeah, something like that. And I I think – so I think overall it's an overpay. It's not a great move for the Flyers because it's an overpay of money and it's an overpay of draft capital, especially when you're in the middle of a aggressive retool or rebuild, whichever one you want to call it. It, And and it kind of – to get to my point, I kind of talk about another thing that you didn't mention, which was the Johnny Goudreau stuff. Coming into – for agency, the idea was that Johnny would want to come, was going to want to come back to Philadelphia or sorry, the Philadelphia region, South Jersey region and be a flyer. Um, and by all accounts, that's what in fact was going to be the scenario. But uh, the flyers chose not to go after Goudreau, which if you ask me is fine. I mean, at the it's end probably of the day, for the best, honestly, exactly. Just, does Johnny make the Flyers a playoff team in 2022-2022? This season, Maybe. the next season, or the season Maybe. after that? Maybe. But at the end of the day, they're not they're not going to be a cup contender no. this season or next season, and probably not the season after that. This is he is the type of player that will make you will, will take a bad team to being mediocre, probably. And at that point, you're just hurting your chances of getting a good draft pick and a potential high-impact player down the road, especially in 2023 NHL draft, which is full of high-end talent, uh, compare, at least compared to this past draft, where having a top-five draft pick could benefit the Flyers greatly down the road. So missing out on Johnny Gaudreau is fine, in my opinion, overall. I would have loved to see him on the Flyers, he would have put butts in the seats, that's for sure. He would have made me want to tune into games, that's for sure as well. But the problem not going after Johnny G is you traded that draft cap, quite a bit of draft capital for Tony D'Angelo, who, while is a quality player on the ice, has his off-the-ice issues, which makes the trade already questionable. Add on the, cap, the draft capital and add in the $5 million, that move screams aggressive rebuild. You're trying to compete in 2022-2023 and hope to be a cup contender in the near future. If you're making that move, you have to find a way to make the Johnny G move. You can't just make the Tony D'Angelo move yeah. where you gave up all that draft capital and then just go into next season expecting to suck. I mean, it, it just – it screams incompetence by Chuck Fletcher in the front office. And I, I just don't know how you can make that move without having a move to follow up. Even if it's not Johnny G, there's plenty of good options the Flyers could have gone for to make this team more competitive in the future or this season and next. 
and and yet i mean you already said the moves they made it i mean justin braun is whatever but you you signed nick de la zares as your as your as your forward for this offseason it's just it's ridiculous i mean i'm fine with them sucking this year and I'm fine mm-hmm. with quote unquote tanking. But if you're going to tank, just, I mean, embrace it. Do yeah. It. Embrace it. Don't do what you do with D'Angelo and just, just yeah. decide what you want to do one way or the other and, and just do that. I mean, just pick. Yeah. So the, the flyers uh, sent a 2024 second round pick 2023 third round pick and a 2022 fourth-round pick for Tony D'Angelo. And like you mentioned, D'Angelo is a good defenseman. Sure. He's a good offensive defenseman. He's probably like a glorified ghost. The problem is, in Carolina, he was able to do that because Jacob Slavin was such a good at-home defenseman and two-way defenseman that D'Angelo could roam the way he wanted. And the other part that D'Angelo helps is your power play. So either Chuck thinks that Tony D'Angelo is going to put up so many points on the power play that it's worth it. Or, uh, you know, I don't know. You – you know, he, he said in his press conference that they're now harder to play against, which Justin Braun was on the defense. Yeah. And they sucked. So you're bringing back a guy who was already on the team when they sucked. So now you're getting Tony D'Angelo, which you, the problem with Ghost was he didn't play defense, you know, as a defense. Yeah. So right now, yeah. you those are two guys that – are doing the complete opposite. Yeah. You signed Rasmus Ristolainen to a five-year deal who yeah. he's a big guy. And, and you gave up a time draft capital on that trade as well. Yeah, you gave up draft capital for him and you signed him to a five-by-five. Five. And so now you have two guys that don't play defense and Justin Braun, who's a fine third pair. And then you have Nick Delorier, who is a goon an absolute goon and he has a partial no trade clause and you sign him to a four-year deal yeah that 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 may be the most and when i say partial it's 20 teams yeah that signing if it was one or two years would have been fine uh i mean it would have been fine it would have been whatever at that point yeah but give him a a four-year contract and then b give him a that big of a no trade call any no trade cause let alone 20 teams is just ridiculous i mean chuck fletcher i mean i had i didn't have high hopes for him uh but he has somehow just been i he's making matt clintack look like a competent gm for the phillies it's it's that meme. Was here. it's that meme where it says the bar was low but holy crap like yeah, that's where we're at. Yeah, you know, I mean, Chuck, he has completely set this. This franchise wasn't in a great spot when he no. got here, but there was some areas where you could. There is a way you could say, okay, they got enough here that 
with some right moves, they could still be competing for play in, in the playoffs and maybe even make a surprise run to the finals um, sometime in the future. But he has completely come in and destroyed this franchise and the future of this franchise. I mean, the Flyers' best hope right now is to go out and rebuild for five years another five years and hope it pans out this time because it just the last five certainly have not i mean and we we ended last season with low expectations for this upcoming season and the expectations are even lower at this point uh if you think about i mean i mean tony d'angelo tells you that just uh, that uh, Ryan Ellis isn't going to play. Yeah, You're not I mean, going to go trade for Tony D'Angelo if if Ryan Ellis is going to play this year. Yeah, no, yeah, Ryan Ellis is possibly never going to play again. Um, your potential future starter, but current backup goalie is currently being forced into the Russian military, uh, which, okay, okay, that isn't Chuck Fletcher's fault. That isn't the fire's fault. That isn't Ian Fedotov's fault. That is because... Global, yeah, issue. Yeah. Um, Carter Hart's name is popping up with stuff that, I mean, I haven't even began to read into, but it isn't pretty uh, up in, with uh, a couple... Uh, some sort of sexual allegations in for uh, twenty eighteen, uh, yeah, team yeah, Canada. Canada's twenty eighteen junior team or something. I don't think he was directly involved in anything, but he was part of the team that has a bunch of allegations yeah. against it. So even if he didn't do anything directly right now, his name is still in the media regarding it, which you don't like to see. Um, and, uh, hopefully he wasn't part of anything like that. Um, your highest potential young player, uh, suffered a back injury while training this off season and isn't going to be ready for, uh, October, maybe not even November. Uh, Sean Couturier is injured. Uh, Kevin Hayes is injured. I mean, how many yeah. key players on this team is there? And we haven't even I haven't even said Bobby Brink and who was, guy who, yeah. who 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 knows who else is injured. Guys you thought were gonna be a part of your future, like Morgan Frost have yet to show anything. Um Isaac Radcliffe has yet to show anything. Uh I mean, next season could be exciting if these young pieces click, but there has been nothing in the last year to two years that makes me think. That all these young, that a couple of these young pieces are going to click, and the Flyers are going to make some type of, uh, it's just have some excitement. I, I, I think there's a good chance this is a, a bottom three team in the NHL again this year, uh, upcoming season, and it should be them and what Chicago, maybe yeah. Seattle battling out for the top mm-hmm. the bottom three picks. I mean, and Chicago is going to have – they may have a better shot at the one pick right now than Chicago. I know a lottery, but have higher odds because yeah. Chicago is at least going to have Patrick Kane for at least half a season before he gets traded yeah. near the trade deadline. But um, 
Yeah. And while we're on this discussion of aggressive rebuild slash retool, I must ask you, Austin, do you think that the uh, Flyers should get uh, into the Matthew to Chuck sweepstakes, or do you think it would be better off for him, for them to pass? I mean, they're better off passing, but Chuck can't do it anyway. But Chuck can't do it anyway because he didn't go get Johnny Goudreau. So you can't go say to the media – yeah, we were never in on got Johnny Goudreau and then turn around and go get Matthew Kachuk. You can't do it. And also, they just don't have the cap space right now because they have two defensemen signed for a combined $10 million. Yeah, yeah. like, yeah, it would be hypocritical for them to do, which I, I'm about to get into a hypocritical statement that they yeah, made yeah, yeah. anyway. I, I talked enough. You go on yeah. any sort of rant. <laughs> So, yeah, Matthew Kachuk doesn't make any sense because as much as I would love Matthew Kachuk, you can't sit here and tell the Flyers fan base, hey, we're going to go get Matthew Kachuk. But meanwhile, the guy from Philly who's a superstar, you know, we're not going to go after him. But the hypocrisy comes in, and you mentioned the issues with Tony D'Angelo. Um Like you mentioned, he has been suspended in the past for racist and insensitive remarks. His dad kind of doubled down on it and said, yeah, he's that, you know, that's just how he grew up. That's inexcusable. But when Tortorella got hired, he had mentioned culture and some, you know, he wants to build a culture in this locker room. So what does Chuck Fletcher do? He trades for Tony D'Angelo. And then the one kid that everyone rallied around and everyone in that locker room loved and said is a bright spot. The kid who beat Ewing Sarcoma, you buy out because you wanted $3 million. And I I will say that when it comes to Oscar, it it is a hard move. It's a hard move to swallow because he's such a beloved member. He was such a beloved member of the organization and what he meant to the organization, the city, and, and just his overall story. Um, I'm glad to see him land on his feet with San Jose. Um, I th- I think, see, when the, when that move happened, I was totally fine with it because, y- yes, he was not living up to the value of the contract. Yeah. And uh, if buying him out meant they could go after a Johnny Goudreau, it would it it would have made it a lot easier to swallow losing uh, Limblom, uh, but to not get Goudreau and instead you have D'Angelo and then you pick up a uh, goon goon. It, <laughs> it, I, mean, I would have just rather take the three million dollar cap hit. Eat it, Oscar. At that point. Yeah, especially too, because there are guys that like three million doesn't really move the needle that much anyway. You know, like no, what is three million dollars? Um, yeah, you know, and I mentioned the we're harder to play against now. Thank God, you know. And he called Nick Delorier a player that is hard to find, and that teams were going after who? Because the only teams that are going after him are the teams that are in the bottom of the league. Yep. 
Um, 100%. 100%. And it's, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Because I was going to go. No, uh, it just, about it's, Johnny. Yeah, everything the Flyers did last week, they, like one move just made. I, I, I can't think of the word I'm trying. They didn't have a direction. They didn't know what they were Absolutely. making. Moves did not to have make a direction. Moves. They they were counteractive to each other. Yeah, every move was counteractive to each other, um, and, and it's just I you just gotta hope that Chuck gets uh, fired here over the before before next off season. I don't know if he'll get fired during the season. You just gotta hope that they go in another direction. Then Chuck at some point in this upcoming uh, season or next off season because I you can't rebuild under Chuck. He's no. shown just terrible, terrible incompetence over the last two two years that I have set this franchise back incredibly much. And I I've been a guy who I'm not a fan of Dave Scott by far, but I'm also somebody who's like I. How much does can he actually? Yeah. Yes, he can fire Chuck and go h- hire a replacement. But I have no faith that the guy he goes and hires is going to be a good replacement. And Scott is just a figurehead for figurehead. Comcast right. at this point. Uh, and it's one of those things. Like I said before, if this was the pre salary cap era of hockey, I think the Flyers would be fine. They'd be one of the best teams in the league mm-hmm. because Comcast would throw money at the Flyers because it's it's, it's minimal change for MB, for Comcast, and the Flyers would bring back that money quite easily. Um, but it is not that era of hockey. It is a salary cap era. And, I mean, I just don't know if Dave Scott and Comcast care enough for the to make the Flyers good. I think they care, and I. This was something I was going to bring up, so I'm glad you you brought it up. Is like firing Chuck is only going to do so much. It's sure. the people I think between Dave Scott and Chuck. You know, like it's like you mentioned pre salary salary cap era. That's Paul Holmgren. That's Bobby Clark. You know, that's all those guys above Chuck that are telling Chuck. This is what you need to do because that's how we won a cup. And guess what? Rasmus Ristolainen, back in the day, yeah. Broad Street Bully all the way, fantastic. Nick DeLaurier, Broad Street Bully, it doesn't work. But the figureheads above Chuck think it still works, and they need to get it out of their head that this is how you win hockey because I don't know what they were watching if they weren't watching the Stanley Cup because they were skill, speed, and shooting. And shooting. I agree and I disagree at Go the same it. time. I I agree that the Flyers or as a franchise organization have to get past you know the broad street bully uh, era of. Flyers hockey, and that's just not how you build teams at this point. But at the same time, I because Dave Scott's going to listen to them for who should be GM. Sure, but uh, but honestly, at the same point, at this point, I mean, Paul Holmgren's years are, look like for I, I would take Paul Holmgren as GM right now over uh, 
over um uh yeah chuck yeah. chuck and and if you listen to homegrown i forget what podcast homegrown is on was it was it spent chicklets i don't know but homegrown was on a podcast a, lot, a week or two ago and it was talking about the flyers and the way he was talking made it sound like he was like not that big of a piece of the pitcher. I, I mean, he certainly, certainly has a voice in the organization, but at the same point in time, I mean, what for what for an aggressive retool? I would take Fletcher. I mean, I'd take Homegrown or Fletcher right now because yeah. the one thing Homegrown showed was he was willing to do what it takes to go out and make a move if he thought it was going to win a cup. And you look back on it during his time as GM. Uh, the Flyers were pretty damn good compared to where they are they in were. the last two eras of uh, GMs. But, yeah, I so I, I, I agree that I the Flyers have to get past the broad street bully mentality, but I'm also not sure how much of a voice, per se, that that group of Flyers uh, – I mean – figureheads have i i mean i think where you start would be like uh like i'm thinking like bobby clark like that as a senior advisor you know like yeah yeah absolutely those kind of guys that are up there are telling chuck hey like grassman's wrist alignment is a good defenseman he's not Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I and especially because they keep talking about in this like Dave Scott stuff and the and the press conferences that they have is going back to what it means to be a flyer, you know. And every time they talk about that, sure. it's sure and that style. Sure, sure, sure. I, though I will say, I think one of the major issues of of this team is. Um, as a fan, is also on this team. There, there's, and I brought this up in our Discord today. There is just nobody on this team who seems to really grab the Philadelphia mentality yeah. by the horn. Uh, you look at the other three major uh, sports organizations in the city yeah. with the Phillies. You got Bryce Harper, who is the king of pandering in sports. He, whether he believe, believes what he's saying or not, that dude will pander his ass off till the day he dies about Philadelphia. Castellanos sports. is pretty good at it too, by the way. Castellanos is good. And people would appreciate it more if Castellanos, if Castellanos could hit a fastball down the middle. Uh, Schwarber's done a decent job of it as well. Um, the, the Sixers, Joel Pander's a, to the city all the time. Maybe not in the same way Bryce does, but he panders to the city. Mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts has pandered to the city since day one. Uh, and a couple other Eagles have pandered quite well as well. Um, and I'm Giriani. not saying I, I need a player to pander on the Flyers, but is there anybody on the Flyers who you could say loves being in Philadelphia? Um. That's tough because like the only the first guy that popped in my head, it's not even Kevin Hayes. It's like apparently like Cam Atkinson on multiple occasions has talked about how he loves it. Sure. But I do think like like you said, like it's it's an embodiment, you know, like it's the grit and stuff, like pull putting 110% effort that you see every night. 
and Giroux was yeah. that. And I will also say, and, and looking back at the old Flyers and the Flyers, yeah, it's always been about being tough to play and stuff and all that type of jazz. But I will say the one thing about the old uh, Flyers uh, management in the past and that thing is at the same time, and one thing we haven't seen out of Chuck is, which is why I think they don't have, it's not like as they don't have a huge part of this is those management also saw the value in speed and skill based. I mean, from the nineties on, you look, I mean, look at the nineties. I mean, the Legion of Doom just, just as one. Now that was also a different game. All those guys back then were, it was, it was a kind of a Lindros was a giant on the yeah. ice. And, yeah. And, I mean, you you look down the line, they had Gagne eventually. They Richard, they signed guys yeah. like Briere. Um, even a skill guy like a Jeremy Roenick, uh, so on and so forth. So they also always saw the value in skill guys and guys who had speed and so on and so forth. I It just seems like – so while I think they definitely are feeding Chuck with the – on the defenseman side of things, I, I – I think overall, the, the the bigger problem here is definitely Chuck. And just because you look at Chuck in Minnesota, this is pretty much what Chuck did in Minnesota. He hamstringed the Wild with bad contracts and just left them barren of top end talent. Uh, I mean, he in, did uh, he did make two guys. big signings though. You know, like when you when you come here and say aggressive retool. And Johnny Goudreau, who wants to be here, you don't go after him. You know, he did. I forget the two signings he made in Minnesota, but there were two uh, guys. It was, Pari- it was Zach Parise and uh, oh, it was Zach Parise and uh, uh, was it Sutter? Suter? Yeah, Ryan Suter. Yeah, you know, like that is the if you want to tell like preach to us you're going to aggressively retool that's the yeah. move you're tr- you want to show everyone you know i and i you know like you mentioned about the contracts you know like he did get put into a shitty situation not all the contracts are his fault jvr i think was before him you know but if you have known for a year and a half that this player wanted to come here and you want to tell everyone and show that you want to do an aggressive retool, you make it happen. I don't care how you do it. Now, like you said, and I agree, they're going to be a dumpster fire. Johnny Goudreau would make it so this dumpster fire just isn't as big of a dumpster fire. But now looking at this roster, they're going to be pitiful. So thank yeah, you, Chuck. I, I, I guess absolutely. thank you, Chuck. If if this is a tank, if this is you tanking, you're doing one hell of a job trying to convince everyone that you're not tanking. I I 100% agree with you. And 
I mean, we, it's something that we could talk about for entire. I think we talked about this last week. It, it's something we could talk about for two, three podcasts in a row at hours about what is wrong with this yeah. franchise. What is what needs to be fixed? The answer is, it. You, I think you. We can go on NHL <laughs> twenty three when it comes out, and we can try to fix the Flyers overnight. But I think even on a video game would be nearly impossible. Um, at the end of the day, Chuck has done himself no favors. He has only hurt himself. He has hurt this organization. Uh, but it is no, it is not just because of Chuck that they're in this situation. This is years of incompetence leading back un- to the later years of the home green era when it came to draft picks. The Ron Hextall era has, was a complete failure. I mean – the, the similarities of the Ron Hextall era compared to the Matt Clintock era are just incredibly, incredibly, I mean, so similar. I mean, yeah. Nicky Moniak, Nolan Patrick. I mean, they okay. all mi- they missed on every possible draft pick move. And, and- and you could even look at not, not as nearly one for one here, but you could look at Ivan Provorov and Alec Bohm. Both yeah. had great starts to their career. You're looking like, oh, we have franchise cornerstones here that we can build around for the next decade. Right. And as time goes on, both players have taken a little bit of a dip. Provorov, we weren't sure he would be a flyer at this point in the offseason. Yeah. And there's still a chance he could get traded at some point in the next six to eight months, sometime before the trade deadline. Uh, Bohm, I think the Flyers is Flyers. I think the Phillies could end up training him at any point in the future, uh, not this season, but in the future, if they, if they could get an upgrade at third base, because while he is shown to be a better player than he was last season, He's still not the player you expected him to be when you drafted him at whatever, what, number three or number four it was a couple years ago. He's been a solid player this year, but he's not a game-changing player like you'd hope he'd be. Uh, And same can be said about Proby at this point. It's just um, the similarities between the two during those eras are just uh, ridiculously uh, close. Yeah. I mean – I'll eventually go to a game, you know, I will. I like watching hockey, but I mean, if they expect me to go to four or five games or expect anyone, if they expect more than 10,000 people to show up to these games, they're going to be sadly mistaken. And at the end of the day, here's the other thing. I mean, and it sucks because growing up, uh, us growing up, we grew up in the last great era of Flyers hockey, um, which, I mean, it's not that long ago. It's 10, 15 years ago. But, and that, that is quite a long time when you look at the grand, when you look recently, but grand scheme of things, it's not, it's not terribly long ago. But we still grew up in an era around Philly where Flyers hockey was talked about. You look forward to every season, you look forward to every game. I mean, that, 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 2007 to 2011, 2012, oh, yeah. a little bit after that, uh, 
maybe into 2013, 14. Uh, th- those were great seasons. You always They're fun. To but since then, you, you're really killing it, killing the, the potentially the sport and the fandom for this younger generation that maybe what became eight or 10 around the 2015 yeah. season. Because now those eight to 10 year olds in 2015 are now 15 to 17. And as much as those, you know, six to 10, 11, 12 year age ranges are formative for a sport for being, you know, again, in the sports and stuff. uh, I mean, for me, I I think those high school years and teenage years are just as important because those are going to be the teams that you remember the most. Those are when you're going to either fall out of watching a team or fall or completely back, stay in love with the sport. I mean, that's, that's how I was with the Phillies. The Phillies now got lucky with some of us like me because of that world series team and that 2007 to 12 run 11 run made us think, you know, Oh, we're going to be good every year. You know, here we are 10 years later yeah. hoping for a playoff spot, but it, get- it's killing, it's killing the passion for fans, younger fans. And unfortunately, as you're saying with mm-hmm. attendance and going to games, hockey, no matter if your team sucks or is good when you're in a market like Philadelphia, Tickets are always going to be really expensive. And I mean, I I cannot write consciously feel good about dropping 50, 60, 70 plus dollars mm-hmm. per ticket to go to a Flyers game. Uh, so that, I, I mean, if it's me and my fiance, yeah. that's we're already talking close to 200 bucks. Uh, to go to a fires game when you count parking food and all that. It's I'll give you a just, prime you example too. Yeah. With the product on the ice. Yeah. No, you can't. I'll, I'll give you a prime example. I, I have a younger brother. He's, he's going to be 21 in November. He couldn't give two shits about hockey. Yeah. Like he yeah. watched, he watched the Stanley cup. Like I would have it on and he'd watch it and he'd go, dude, this is actually sick. If I have a Flyers game on, he doesn't care. You know why? Because they're terrible. And they've been ter- – he graduated in 2020. From f- the entire time he was in high school, they sucked. They were horrible. Yeah, and, you had Scott and, Gordon as your coach. And the one thing I think that helps teams like the Phillies retain that younger – and I think you talk about the Phillies, the Sixers. You can't you can't say it about the football the Eagles because I I honestly have a hard time even now going into a season with a ton of potential where I feel like I can go out and feel like I'm getting good value when I'm going to be dropping three to four hundred dollars to go to a game when you count tickets, parking, and all that. Well, that's, that's um, I go one a year. I go one game. Yeah. I- Exactly. I mean, it's just the biggest problem with NFL is one thing. NFL is the king of American sports. They own a day of the week. The biggest problem with hockey is that they price out the fans, even when the product sucks. Um, The one thing the Phillies and Sixers had gone for them, and now basketball, if it's, you know, like against a premier team or premier player it'll be a little different but for the most part with baseball and basketball when the Phillies and Sixers suck 
is that you could go to a game for eight to 10 bucks sometimes, maybe 15, 20 more realistically most nights and get good seats. I, I mean, for me, I, I went to countless number of games uh, in college and now out of college to for the Phillies because tickets were so cheap. And I got to see a lot of cool moments and got to spend a lot of nights at the ballpark, which which helps with the younger fan base because it still offers the opportunity to get the kids to the ballpark. But, I mean, we've gone off on a whole different tangent at this point <laughs> regarding the Flyers. Um, at the end of the day, the Flyers, it's a – you just have no hope abomination, for the but it's an abomination. Yeah. yeah. Just now. Well, let's move on to flyers. Let's talk about the Phillies. It's currently the all-star break in baseball. All-star game is on as we record this Kyle Schwarber, uh, as I do not believe has yet entered the game. I could have really missed as we record it. Um, for starters, Schwarber got robbed in the home run derby. I'm not going to act like I care all too much, but he did. Get robbed. I mean, rigged. It, it is what it is, but um, it's pool holes. It was rigged. It, it was completely rigged, but <laughs> it, it's whatever. Um, but Phillies overall, I mean, that was a quite the up and down last week and a half for the Phillies. Um, who did they play before the Cardinals? The Brave? Who did they play before the Cardinals? Toronto. Um, now, it was Cardinals. Into- it was Cardinals, and then Toronto. I'm pulling it up. Just give me one moment here. Um, so going back, okay, it was Washington. So go, let's go back. So let's just go back to the start of July because we haven't really talked about the Phillies since then. They took two out of three from St. Louis, which was huge uh, in the wild card race. I think they actually left that series tied for the wild card. Then they took two out of three of Washington. They, they were up. They are tied going into St. Louis for the wild card, took two out of three in St. Louis, left St. Louis, sorry, two out of four in St. Louis. Uh, they were at one point up two games in St. Louis for the wild card, uh, left uh, tied for the wild card, lost both their games in Toronto. So after winning, uh, what was it, uh, six of eight? No, sorry, six of ten. They lost four straight, um, which was just uh, terrible. Um, but then, and you go into that last weekend series against the Marlins, you're thinking, all right, this is a team the Phillies always struggle against. If they lose two out of three here or get swept, you're feeling really bad about the last week of the season because you would have lost six of your last seven or something like that. Instead, the Phillies go into Miami and get a sweep of the Marlins first time since 2010 or 2011. Um, and that was a big last series for the Phillies because with that sweep of the Marlins, they headed into the all-star break tied for the wild card and technically in the lead for the wild card as they have the tiebreaker over the Cardinals uh, for winning that season series. Um, it wasn't pretty there for that four-game stretch against uh, St. Louis and Toronto. But at the end of the day, they've uh, continued their hot play under Rob Thompson here in July uh, up into the All-Star break. And if you told me at the end of May when Joe Girardi – or beginning of June when Joe Girardi got fired that the Phillies at the All-Star break would be tied for the wild card or technically leading for the wild card, I would have I, 
Ozzy would have signed up for that a hundred times uh, out of a hundred, but I, I would have thought you're uh, crazy. And I, uh, I mean, I, I just would never have believed you, but here we are there in there technically in a wild card spot, which is unbelievable uh, credit to Rob Thompson, but credit to the Phillies as a whole, everybody stepped up here over the last month or so, especially since both Segura and Bryce went down. Um, yeah. The bullpen has been phenomenal. We'll get into that in a couple minutes, but uh, yeah, just uh, what an and incredible run they've been on since the beginning of June. Incredible run. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm impressed. You know, they could have, especially with how things started to go and firing Girardi, they could have literally just given up. You know, they could have teams. The Phillies teams under Girardi. Phillies teams under. Um, Gabe Kapler, uh, after that four game ser- series again, after that four, four game, uh, four losses in a row to St. Louis, Toronto, they would have lost that series in Miami. I, I have no doubt, but and they won the opening game in Miami two to one against mm-hmm. the Marlins ace Sandy Alcantara, uh, scoring two runs, I think, in the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning. I forget, I was late in the game, but. That game is a prime example of the Phillies this year winning games that they never would have won under Joe Girardi, Gabe Kapler, or any point in the last 10 years, and which makes me feel this team is different. They have eked out some really good wins under Rob Thompson, especially, and it, it just makes you feel that this team is different. This team does have a chance to do something special here over the last two and a half months of the season. Yeah, and – I mean, they're just going to get stronger, you know, as long as the yeah, I mean, you're against pitching back staff. Harper. Yeah, as long as your pitching staff stays healthy, which, I mean, at this point you can't count on Eflin to do so because he's not pitching now. But, I mean, yeah, Harper is meeting with his doctors about getting the pins out of his thumb next week. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a plus. Segura, I think, is starting to do some stuff that's – hopefully means he's going to be coming back sooner, but I mean, they're getting the right pieces back, you know, and that's the biggest thing. But if you, and if you're dumb, if you're Dombrowski, you know, what are you looking to get? You know, I mean, um, we were asked this question in our discord, which if you haven't already joined it, join it. It's uh, who's the Phillies biggest X factor coming out of the all-star break and, and mine I'll go first. I mean, is it's the bullpen. I mean, the bullpen has been been out of its mind. Yeah. They've been out of their mind and I'll even give, I could, I can't believe I'm going to give him a shout out because he's, he's almost as frustrating as Hector Neris was. He was terrible. He was terrible. The first three months of the year. Yeah. But Jose Alvarado over his last 28 days, 13 games, 39 plate appearances, four hits, 21 strikeouts, batting average of 114. And he four does walks. have a, quite a bit of walks in there still, but four. But only four. Wow. Only four walks. <laughs> in the um, last 28. Yeah. I mean, Alf, yeah, he, he still does have a little bit of a wildness in him, but I will, but he, he, he since come back from Leah Valley, he's been tremendous. I don't know if the Phillies bullpen can keep this up for the brand of the year. I, I would love to get some reinforcements in there at the trade deadline. And don't forget, trade deadline this year is August 2nd, not July 31st. 
Uh, I'd love to get some reinforcements in there and the trade deadline bolster that bullpen even more. Um, but I think that the big thing that we've seen is that Rob Thompson is just using these guys to their strengths mm-hmm. and not trying to put them in set roles. I mean, Serenity ha- Dominguez by far should be a closer for the Phillies, but, and he has been for the most part over the last couple of weeks, but Rob Thompson necessarily isn't afraid to use him in a different part of the uh, game. And he's not afraid to put other guys in the save situation. And we've seen guys like Knable still go out there and get a save. We've seen Brad Hand go out and get Brad Hand has been a tremendous ball band piece all year. Uh, and D- Dave Dombrowski does not get cre- enough credit for that. Um, Knable has looked great uh, since not being, maybe not great, but he's been very good since not being a closer anymore. Uh, it, it, Thompson's just using guys to their strengths and it's paying off greatly. Whatever they did with Alvarado down at AAA has worked out great. Yeah. Uh, he's been tremendous. Hopefully, if he can keep it, if he can keep it up, that is the biggest weapon they have in the bullpen. Um, and he's been able to do it against righties and lefties, which is great to see. Um, yeah, I absolutely agree. The bullpen is going to be a key here in the next two and a half months, and uh, or last two years, the bullpen has been the make or break. Uh, of why they are having to have not been a playoff team. So perhaps this year they can keep this up because just been tremendous uh, as well as the star rotation. You need Nola and Wheeler to pitch like your number one and number two. Nola has gone back to look like an ace, uh, just great jobs out of him every week, every sorry, every start almost. Suarez is starting to come back into what I think is a comfortability zone. He's never going to be what he was last year, but he can be, decent um and gibson has put together some terrific starts of late as well i mean he got he got hammered that one game one game against st louis Mm -hmm. two weeks ago when he gave four home runs in the first inning but he came back the next week was tremendous he came back against uh the marlins this past weekend was tremendous again um for me i think it's reese hoskins uh and you, I think you could easily say a guy like Schwarber, um, but I yeah. think Schwarber at this point is a known commodity. He's going to give you a home run or two every week, maybe three. Uh, he's going to drive in playing runs. The dude, if he was hitting anything above 230, I mean, <laughs> I, I think he's hitting like 220 right now. If he was hitting 20 points higher, he should he would be in the MVP conversation. This guy, He has carried the Phillies <laughs> over the last month and a half. And you honestly um, didn't think it was going to be him. You know, you, I think a lot of us just assumed it was going to be either Castellanos or Reese that were going to step up and drive runs in, but Schwarber decided yeah, June's going to continue say, for three more months. I will, and we'll see if Schwarber does continue, but I will say I was a very staunch person when it came to uh, st- saying that Schwarber was going to break out once June happened. And I know historically that's what happens, but everybody was giving up on Shoreborn May, April, May. And I said, just wait, it's going to pay off. And it's paid off greatly. The dude's second in major league baseball and home runs three behind Aaron judge. Uh, and Aaron judge has gotten all the love this year. Shoreborn's just three behind him. Let's not forget that. Um, Shoreborn's on pace for the single best home run season by Philly since Ryan Howard in 2006. Um and I would say I almost have had as much fun watching Schwarber over the last eight weeks 
or sorry, six weeks or so, as I enjoyed watching Bryce Harper over the last half of last year. Um, but for me, it's Reese Hoskins. Schwarber's a known commodity. I don't know if Nick Castellanos is really going to break out of whatever this is. I think he's going to finish with 15 to 20 home runs. And, and you look at the RBI total. The RBI total is, isn't is bad. He's, he's driving in runs. He's just not driving the ball out of the ballpark like we expected, which it is what it is. If he gets to 15 to 20 home runs, I'm happy uh, for what it is at this point. But Hoskins. Uh, Hoskins is another one of those guys who can carry your team for a week or two. And if you can get him hot along with uh, Schwarber consistently or Castellanos or JT, this team will be in a good spot until Bryce can get back. And then when Bryce gets back, it may take Bryce a week or two to get back in the groove. But if the Phillies can get Hoskins hot, keep Schwarber at a a relatively hot pace, and you get Harbor back, this team is going to be awfully dangerous. And that's not to mention whatever they do add to this team. At the trade deadline, um, I don't know if they'll go after an Andrew Benatendi. Maybe a Michael A. Taylor also from the Royals would be a great addition for them. Um, Salisbury reported today that he thinks the only guys that are off the table are Abel Painter and McGriff. Outside of that, everybody else is on the table. Uh, And to be honest, I think only Abel and Painter are off the table. Anybody else is really – you you can move if it brings back an impact player. And um, this is what Dave Nebraska was brought in to do. He was brought in to make a team go from a playoff contender to a bona fide playoff team. Um, and this is the most excited I've been about a trade deadline since probably those 08 to 2011 Phillies teams because I feel like the Phillies could truly bring in an impact player here at the deadline that helps put them over the top here in the wild card race and maybe even make a run at the division. I don't think they'll catch up to the Mets at this point, but perhaps they make it interesting. Um, but it's going to, it surely is going to be an exciting last two and a half months because this team has been playing hot baseball without Bryce and Gene, and they're not going to get Segura and Harper back probably in the next month. And if they can at least, if they can play above 500 baseball until then, it's going to be a fun rest of August and September. Um, Really looking forward to the second half of this season. Yeah, it'll be interesting, especially if Wheeler and Nola can stay healthy. You know, Wheeler, uh, the last two years, I think, around this time slash like a week or two from now has historically gotten hurt, and Nola at times has just gotten shelled towards – Yeah, you you – you do have to worry about both players here going down in August, September, I think, because uh, Wheeler especially has racked up a ton of innings over the last two years. And over and last season, at the tail end of last season, we started seeing him take a little bit of a step back, and I think it hurt his Cy Young case. And um, no offense to Aaron Nola, he's been great this year. But his, the biggest Achilles heel for Aaron, Aaron Nola in his Phillies career has been pitching in those big games. Uh, mm-hmm. He has routinely come up short and it, it, if they're going to make the playoffs, he's going to have to come up big here down the stretch for them. And Wheeler will have to come up big as well. And not to mention guys like Ranger Swords and Kyle Gibson. Yeah. Which Ranger is back. You know, that was, I totally forgot that he, he looks all against Miami. Yeah. Which I mean, 
shouldn't ever be saying much because it's Miami, but it is the Phillies. So it's impressive, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and Miami's not been but Miami's not been a bad team. I know they just lost like seven of the last 10 or something like that. But up until the last week or so, they were not a bad team. Um, anything else you want to talk about the Phillies? Um, I mean, we'll talk again before the trade deadline. Yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely talk before the trade deadline. Maybe we can see we can work something out, you know, see if somebody can hop on. But, um, no, I think that's it. You know, it's a nice little break for um, the Phillies to just recollect. And especially for Bryce, you know, like it kind of puts a pause on Bryce missing games because everyone else has the week off. So it's honestly kind of a blessing in disguise that he's able to look at it now. I, I think it's fair to say that for as the Phillies have probably missed Bryce as least as they possibly could over the last couple of weeks. I mean, if you told us that when they lost Bryce that they would still be playing this strong baseball, they would be in in the lead for a wild card spot. Uh, we would have uh, we would have taken that every day, and we would have been very surprised. So I think on that end, um, you have to uh, definitely like where the Phillies are sitting right now with reinforcement on the way in the form of Bryce and Gene, but also in the form of trade deadline, uh, which is rapidly approaching. Um, and we haven't even mentioned the fact just baseball wise that there's increased possibility that Juan Soto is going to be traded in the next 14 days from the nationals. I, I always thought Juan Soto would get traded eventually I did not expect it to be in 2022. Uh, and it's amazing to consider he turned down 440 million. Now you look at the annual average value is only 29 million, which is a, an underpay for Soto. But uh, yeah, just uh, it's going to be an interesting trade deadline. I think it's going to be a good trade deadline in baseball. She'll look very much looking forward to him and look forward to what the Phillies could do. Um, the only bad thing about the Phillies at the trade deadline is I think they're secretly putting together a, a solid farm system. And They'll probably trade a nice prospect to here, uh, but they did. They did draft uh, the son of Carl Crawford this week, and then will be draft Justin Crawford, center fielder. Which uh, it, it's a low floor, but really high ceiling draft pick. We'll see how that turns out. But uh, any I mean, other thoughts listen, on you, the Phillies? I mean, you just got to trade. You know, in order to get something good, you got to be willing to give up something yeah. good. That's all. It, as long as it brings back somebody of value. Like so, and I'm not talking somebody that we're like, oh shit, yeah. that's a nice pickup. Uh, I'll be happy. Uh, but if it's, I mean, if it's somebody that you're like, um, whatever, yeah, cool. Yeah, like this that's is a nice piece. pickup, but I don't yeah. think it, it has to be a move the needle pickup. Yeah. But until I, I think that's all, right? I yeah, that's all. Yeah, that's all. All right. Well, until next time, everybody, thank you for listening to another episode of the Cheesesteaks in the Sound Level. My name is Duncan Count Crowley. He's Austin Mancini. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at In the 700. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, uh, and pretty much any social media platform. Don't forget to follow our Discord. You can find that on our Twitter as well. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Leave a review and rate it if you can. And be sure to f- share with your friends, family, 
fellow Philadelphia sports fans and anybody you like. Uh, and until next time, everybody, take care. Have a good one. And uh, go Phils. Go Phils.